Chapter Seventeen of Tales of the Enchanted Islands of the Atlantic. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Asterix. Tales of the Enchanted Islands of the Atlantic by Thomas Higginson. Chapter Seventeen. THE SEARCH FOR NORUMBEGO Sir Humphrey Gilbert, Colonel of the British forces in the Netherlands, was poring over the manuscript narrative of David Ingram, Mariner. Ingram had, in 1568 to 69, taken the widest range of travel that had ever been taken in the new continent, of which it was still held doubtful by many whether it was or was not a part of asia surely gilbert said to his half-brother walter raleigh a youth of twenty-three this knave hath seen strange things he hath been set ashore by john hawkins in the gulf of mexico and there left behind he hath travelled northward with two of his companions along indian trails he hath even reached norumbega he hath seen that famous city with its houses of crystal and silver pine logs and hemlock bark belike said raleigh scornfully nay said gilbert he hath carefully written it down he saw kings decorated with rubies six inches long and they were borne on chairs of silver and crystal adorned with precious stones he saw pearls as common as pebbles and the natives were laden down by their ornaments of gold and silver the city of bega was three-quarters of a mile long and had many streets wider than those of london some houses had massive pillars of crystal and silver what assurance can he give asked raleigh he offers on his life to prove it a small offer mayhap there be many of these lying mariners whose lives are as worthless as the stories they relate but what said he of the natives kindly disposed was the reply so far as he went but those dwelling farther north where he did not go were said to be cannibals with teeth like those of dogs whereby you may know them travellers tales said raleigh omne ignotum pro mirifico he returned said gilbert disregarding the interruption in the gargarine a french vessel commanded by captain champagne methinks something of the flavour represented by the good captain's name hath got into your englishman's brain good ale never gives such fantasies doth he perchance speak of elephants he doth said sir humphrey hesitatingly perchance he saw them not but heard of them only what says he of them asked raleigh he says that he saw in that country both elephants and ounces and he says that their trumpets are made of elephants teeth but the houses said raleigh tell me of the houses in every house said gilbert reading from the manuscript they have scoops buckets and divers vessels all of massive silver with which they throw out water and otherwise employ them the women wear great plates of gold covering their bodies and chains of great pearls in the manner of curvettes 
and the men wear manilions or bracelets on each arm and each leg some of gold and some of silver whence come they these gourds there are great rivers where one may find pieces of gold as big as the fist and there are great rocks of crystal sufficient to load many ships this was all which was said on that day but never was explorer more eager than gilbert he wrote a discourse of a discovery for a new passage to cathaya and the east indies published without his knowledge by george gascoigne in fifteen seventy eight he had from queen elizabeth a patent of exploration allowing him to take possession of any uncolonized lands in north america paying for these a fifth of all gold and silver found the next year he sailed with raleigh for newfoundland but one vessel was lost and the others returned to england in fifteen eighty three he sailed again taking with him the narrative of ingram which he reprinted he also took with him a learned hungarian from buda named parmenius who went for the express purpose of singing the praise of norumbega in latin verse but was drowned in sir humphrey's great flagship the delight this wreck took place near sable island and as most of the supplies for the expedition went down in the flagship the men in the remaining vessels grew so impatient as to compel a return there were two vessels the golden hind of forty tons and the squirrel of ten tons this last being a mere boat then called a frigate a small vessel propelled by both sails and oars quite unlike the warship afterwards called by that name on both these vessels the men were so distressed that they gathered on the bulwarks pointing to their empty mouths and their ragged clothing the officers of the golden hind were unwilling to return but consented on sir humphrey's promise that they should come back in the spring they sailed for england on the thirty first of august all wished him to return in the golden hind as a much larger and safer vessel the squirrel besides its smallness being encumbered on the deck with guns ammunition and nettings making it unseaworthy but when he was begged to remove into the larger vessel he said i will not forsake my little company going homeward with whom i have passed so many storms and perils one reason for this was the narrator of the voyage says because of hard reports given of him that he was afraid of the sea albeit this was rather rashness than advised resolution to prefer the wind of a vain report to the weight of his own life on the very day of sailing they caught their first glimpse of some large species of seal or walrus which is thus described by the old narrator of the expedition so upon saturday in the afternoon the thirty-first of august we changed our course and returned back for england at which very instant even in winding about there passed along between us and towards the land which we now forsook a very lion to our seeming in shape hair and colour not swimming after the manner of a beast by moving of his feet but rather sliding upon the water with his whole body excepting the legs in sight 
neither yet in diving under and again rising above the water as the manner is of whales dolphins tunis porpoises and all other fish but confidently showing himself above water without hiding notwithstanding we presented ourselves in open view and gesture to amaze him as all creatures will be commonly at a sudden gaze and sight of men thus he passed along turning his head to and fro yawning and gaping wide with ugly demonstration of long teeth and glaring eyes and to bid us a farewell coming right against the hind he sent forth a horrible voice roaring or bellowing as doeth a lion which spectacle we all beheld so far as we were able to discern the same as men prone to wonder at every strange thing as this doubtless was to see a lion in the ocean sea or fish in shape of a lion what opinion others had thereof and chiefly the general himself i forbear to deliver but he took it for bonum omen a good omen rejoicing that he was to war against such an enemy if it were the devil when they came north of the azores very violent storms met them most outrageous seas the narrator says and they saw little lights upon the main-yard called then by sailors castor and pollux and now st elmo's fire yet they had but one of these at a time and this is thought a sign of tempest on september the ninth in the afternoon the general as they called him sir humphrey was sitting abaft with a book in his hand and cried out more than once to those on the other vessel we are as near to heaven by sea as by land and that same night about twelve o'clock the frigate being ahead of the golden hind the lights of the smaller vessel suddenly disappeared and they knew that she had sunk in the sea the event is well described in a ballad by longfellow the name of norumbega and the tradition of its glories survived sir humphrey gilbert in a french map of fifteen forty three the town appears with castle and towers jean alphonse who visited new england in that year describes it as the capital of a great fur country students of indian tongues define the word as meaning the place of a fine city while the learned grotius seized upon it as being the same as norberga and so affording a relic of the visits of the northmen as to the locality it appeared first on the maps as a large island then as a smaller one and after fifteen sixty nine no longer as an island but a part of the mainland bordering apparently on the penobscot river whittier in his poem of norumbega describes a norman knight as seeking it in vain he turned him back o master dear we are but men misled and thou hast sought a city here to find a grave instead no builded wonder of these lands my weary eyes shall see a city never made with hands alone awaiteth me so champlain in 1604 could find no trace of it and said that no such marvel existed while marc lescarbot the parisian advocate writing in 1609 says if this beautiful town ever existed in nature i would like to know who pulled it down for there is nothing here but 
huts made of pickets and covered with the barks of trees or skins yet it kept its place on maps till sixteen forty and even halin in his cosmography sixteen sixty nine speaks of norumbega and its fair city though he fears that the latter never existed it is a curious fact that the late mr justin windsor the eminent historian after much inquiry among the present descendants of the indian tribes in maine could never find any one who could remember to have heard the name of norumbega End of chapter seventeen